Get out your Bible if you have one. Uh, we're going to spend some time in it. I, uh, I'm really, um, feel a little conflicted today, to be quite honest, because um, it's been a little bit of a um, challenging last couple of weeks for our church. If you're new to our church or a guest this morning, just so you know, our church has, in the last couple of weeks, experienced some real heartache. Um, and uh, and I'd be happy to share about that at another time. But uh, and and so here we are in the midst of this and ministering to one another and ministering and serving this community. And and God has has stirred in us an even greater passion for the mission that He's called us to, and even a more clear sense of 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 why in the world a new church in the city. And uh, I will say this: there's a lot of really uh, good churches in this city. Um, and there's some some real healthy ones, and and some of some of the churches in the city are even lifting up Jesus and talking about how Jesus changes people's lives. But the need for more and more of them is 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 great. As many people are moving from all over our world into our great city that we all love, the need for uh, gospel. Uh, preaching Christ-centered, God-glorifying churches. It's great. And so we believe that God sent us in the city to... to, um, to I came into the city with my wife and three kids at the time, now four, just simply opening the Scriptures with a group of men, and that grew, and now it's grown into this. And and uh, and we're going to continue doing that, just, just teaching people about who Jesus is. And, and so here we are uh, in the midst of this season where, where we're ministering to one another and helping one another. And even this morning, I, I'm talking to and praying with over the phone the, the wife of a grieving widow in our church and just feeling the weight of that. But yet God has so much more for us to do. So we, we must look forward. We must think about how in the world can we get in on what God is wanting to do in this city? And so um, we've come to this place where as a church, we've got to get a little more organized uh, leadership-wise. And so today, what I want to, to move us to in the scriptures is to look at, as the very first church was growing and facing some challenges and seeing God bless, um, how, did they, how did they organize? What did they do? And so we want to model our church after the church we see in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, after Jesus uh, lives on earth as a great demonstration of God's love, dies on the cross, is raised from the dead, ascends into heaven. Those very first believers had to gather and assemble and in a kind of an organized way. And so that began to grow. So what began to emerge in the midst of all of that activity, in the midst of our activity, is, uh, is leadership and, and people that were called to lead. And so the place we're going this morning, just so you know, is we're going to a place at the end where I'm going to ask you to identify from among yourselves uh, who... You, who you already see as, as people uh, being servant leaders, men and women. And so, and so just so you know, that's where we're going. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6, is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand and we'll give one to you. Uh, we have some back in the back there. Just raise up your hand. I'll even tell you what page number it's on. Acts, chapter 6, is right around page 914 in the Bibles that we're passing out. I don't know where it is if you have a different kind of Bible. So don't be mad at me. It's on a different page. So 914 in the Bibles that we're using. Um, we'll be there in just a minute. You know, uh, when we began this new year, I felt real tempted, like in the beginning of January, to come out on the first couple of Sundays and go, 
this is where we're going as a church. And like, yeah, you know, and people, I just had this vision that people would just come around it and people would be willing to die for it. But God, God, uh, God moved my heart and just said, Russell, you need to be um, slow to speak, quick to listen. And so I committed to 40 days of, of real intentional prayer and listening to God and, and, um, and just asking God, God, where do you want us to go as a church? So I asked all of you for your input. And so that 40 days has, has passed. And last Sunday, many from our church gathered for what we call a vision dinner. And uh, we celebrated 2012 and all that God has done. Some of the things that we celebrated um, were, were things like we believe that f- more than 5,000 people became aware of uh, our church and, and what God is doing through the people of Neartown Church. We celebrate that. We, we believe that somewhere between 975 and 1,024, uh, and you want to know how I got that. And I, I, As I mentioned last Sunday night, it's, it's a logarithm that Andrew and I worked on. Anyway, so somewhere right in there, um, that many people had specific invites to our community of faith, which we celebrate. We celebrate the invite as a, as a people. And we can't control whether or not someone turns their heart to Christ, but we can control whether or not we're inviting people, so we celebrate the invite. We, we, we say that somewhere around 1,470 people heard the gospel presented in this setting over the course of, of um, 2012 um, we saw last year seven baptisms, which we celebrate. Baptism is a, is a great act of, of people who, uh, who said yes in their hearts, and they want to say yes publicly. It's an act of obedience. We grew by 30%. We added 30 new mission partners in 2012. And so if we continue that, that's going to be a really wonderful thing, and I believe that we can. But I want you to know, in the midst of celebrating all of those things, isn't that exciting, by the way? That's an exciting thing to, to say as a church and to be able to look at those those um, numbers, and they are just numbers, but there's something worth um, thinking about and measuring and, and celebrating. But I want you to know uh, that our mission has just begun. Our mission has just begun. We believe now more than ever that God is sending us into this community to do this, to invite busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This is our mission. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This has just begun. In some ways, it still feels very new to me. In other ways, to be honest, I look at my hair and I can see more gray than I ever imagined already at two years of planting a church. Um, It feels so important what we're doing. I mean, you might have come here casually, like, I'm kind of going to check out this church, but I want you to know, from my perspective, what this is is so incredibly important important, more important than anything that's going on. It feels like, and I feel like what I think, bear with me, Moses felt like whenever God called him. Now, I'm not going to compare myself to Moses uh, in every way, certainly, but, but when God called Moses and said, I want you to go to Israel, who's been enslaved for 400 years, and I'm going to use you to lead them out of slavery into a promised land. In some ways, I feel like we're the Moses. I feel like God is calling us and sending us into the city to, to, to lead people from a chaotic, busy heart into a land where there's a peace of life with Jesus Christ. It feels that important. That is what we're doing. That's why when we sing songs like this, like, um, oh God, you know, come Lord Jesus, come, and we look forward to the day that you come, and then, and then we, when we ask God, um, 
to, um, to, to lead our path in every day. These, these songs are so important and so sacred because we are going to God Almighty, the one who spoke into existence everything that exists and continues to, through the power of his spirit to be involved in every part of our world. This God we represent in the city where most of the people living have no relationship with God, and if they were to die, would spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why this feels so important. And you, my friends, like me, are called to it. So we need a compelling vision, and we need something else. We need leaders to get us there. I mean, early on, we really only needed one leader. That was me, right? Um, but now we're at a place where we need leaders. So, and we're not just asking for any kind of leaders. We're not just asking for the kind of leadership that the world applauds, somebody that's the most intelligent or the best looking or the most charismatic. Or, and, and not that you can't be a godly leader and be some of those things, but the world would say that's the kind of leader you have to have. What we are asking is, God, this is your deal. What kind of leaders do you want to raise up in our church? And we don't have to guess. We do not have to guess because the Bible says very clearly what kind of leadership this church requires and also gives us a great model. Did you know the greatest leader to ever live is Jesus? The greatest leader to ever live was Jesus. I read a list this morning of top 10 leaders. It included guys like Napoleon and Alexander the Great and and, uh, even included Hitler, although we certainly wouldn't think that he led in the right direction. He was a incredible leader in some ways, evil, a lot of evil, but incredible leader. And it said that the top, one of the top 10 was Abraham Lincoln. Jesus wasn't even on the list. And I'm like, this list is ridiculous because the greatest leader to ever live is Jesus, born in a stable to poor parents in a poor area of the world in a time where his people were the most oppressed ostracized, poor people in the known land. Raises from this life of obscurity to be someone who now the majority of the world recognizes and knows about. They may not have received Jesus, but they know the name Jesus. So when we talk about who is a great leader, we say Jesus Christ. And and, uh, so there's so much I could say about his leadership strengths, and I'm not going to give you 10 things that Jesus did well as a leader, and so we ought to do those things. But I will say there's one thing about Jesus that stands out above the rest, and that that is that Jesus was a servant leader. He was a servant leader. Philippians chapter 2, Paul uh, from prisons writing to the Philippians is, uh, is celebrating with them all that God's doing in their midst. The theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And and there's this one part in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about how Jesus... Um, served humanity. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, listen, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The person that is one of the three persons of a triune God named Jesus has always existed. And at the right time in history, this part of God became flesh in the form of a man, faced every temptation you and I did, yet did not sin. 
He was a servant. Laid his life down for people. Walked to the cross willingly. Jesus was a servant leader. So we talk about leadership in our church. What kind of leaders? We want to have servant leaders. We want to have people that are willing to lay their life down for what God's called them to do. There's this story where Jesus is with his closest followers just before the crucifixion, and they've shared a meal together at this um, traditional Jewish festival called Passover, and as a part of it, uh, Jesus is going to, 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 to get down on his knees and, and wash their feet. Now, some of you are freaked out by feet. I know it. I get it. I'm not. But some of you are, and so this is going to really mean something to you. But just so you know, in the Middle East, even today, the foot is the most disgusting thing. So if you want to really, really uh, be gross, take your, if you're in the Middle East, take your shoe off and, and touch somebody with it or hit them with it, right? I mean, have you seen this, like, uh, what's this guy, this Iranian leader, Abjimdad, or whatever his name is, that he was, he was talking and somebody took a shoe off and threw it at him? Have you all seen this? Am I right here? But that's like the most offensive thing that he can do because the feet are a disgusting place. Well, certainly in the first century, where these people wore sandals and they're dirty. To, for, this, for any rabbi, especially a kind of rabbi that Jesus was, who they might have begun to have an inkling that he was the long-awaited Messiah, although they didn't understand it fully until the, to the crucifixion and resurrection, um, he gets down on his knees as a, as a demonstration of what leadership looks like. And he washes their feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, 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 I, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus says, if, 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 I can't wash your, if I can't wash your feet, then you can't have any part of this, because this is what this is all about, service. Somebody like getting down, humbling themselves. Mark 10, 45, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So here we are talking about leadership. Again, a to- any good topic um, topical kind of sermon begins with the person and work of, of Jesus Christ. It begins with, with who God is and how God operates. Jesus was a servant leader. So as we think about the, the future of our church, we celebrate servant leaders. We ought to select from among ourselves this, these kinds of people to lead us. And there is so much to do. There's so much to do as our church grows. So here you are in Acts chapter 6. Uh, look here with me in Acts chapter 6. It won't, will not be on the screen, so if you need to look off somebody, that's great. Here's, here's the situation. Acts chapter 6, the churches begin to grow. Um, people are being saved. The, the demands on the missional leaders, the apostles, the demands on the pastor types are becoming very great. And so their number one commitment is prayer and ministry of the word. They're supposed to be preaching the gospel and um, and certainly leading this movement, and and then and just praying for people and being connected to God, and, and they can hear God and re- respond to God's leadership. But the needs have become great. Look here in Acts chapter six, because what we'll see is the very first instance in the New Testament where uh, there are, there's this office called deacon. Okay, so it's it's this it's an office in the New Testament we believe um, where where the, it's a group of people that are identified. In the, among the congregation as being servant leaders. So here's, here's what it is. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, which I mentioned to you already, were increasing in number. We grew by 30 uh, mission partners last year. 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, there's some debate as to exactly who the Hellenists are, but we know they're Greek-speaking, most likely Greek-speaking Jews. So they've been a result of the dispersion. They live in other places, but what happened oftentimes is when people were getting older, they believed it was important to die in, in Israel in particular in Jerusalem, and so they would, as they were getting older, the man and the woman would move back to Jerusalem or to Israel, and they would die there. And so it would leave many times uh, widowed um, Greek-speaking Jews. You know, they learned Greek in another land, they came back. And so, so a complaint rose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distri- distribution. Now, in the Bible, for any Jewish person, certainly you would think this is important too. The widows uh, being taken care of was very important. I mean, it was very, it's very important. It's at the heart of God to take care of people that have a hard time taking care of themselves, poor people, marginalized people. And, and so this is a big deal. So verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. So the 12 are like the apostles. They're the ones, the missional leaders, they're the ones leading this thing. They summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, who was a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, the missional leaders, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here we are. The apostles were busy, like like the missional leaders were busy with the ministry of the word and prayer, and the needs of this ministry are growing. And and, and the, the need for an organized servant leadership structure arises. So the missional leaders... Um, call on this body of disciples. So it's like we're doing this morning. I've called together this body of disciples and, and said, identify from among yourselves a group of people who have exhibited servant leadership. Not people that you think would be good servant leaders, but people who are clearly already servant leaders by their activity and by their lifestyle. So as a church, we are at a place where we've got to identify from among ourselves the people who stand out as servant leaders. And we're going to call these people deacon and deaconess. So um, these very first missional leaders, um, they identified these deacons, and, and, and this is so important. And I want you to know that they got to a place structurally where maybe if they didn't, didn't identify this group of servant leaders and kind of make it official, that their, their ministry could have been stifled. I feel like we're kind of at that place. Like, like things are getting complex enough and there's enough layers in this whole deal that if we don't, if I am not real intentional about handing over more and more leadership responsibility, and I don't, I mean, this isn't about Russell Cravens in my name by any means. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I want to hand over leadership. I want to hand over responsibility, but we want to hand it over to the right people, right? Uh, and we, we're, so we're going to do that. So this passage, Acts chapter six, there's not actually in the New Testament a prescriptive passage on identifying deacons and deaconesses. But we do learn a number of things. In other words, it doesn't say, here's how you do it, step one. Here's how you do it, step two. Here's so we have some latitude and we have some freedom, I think, by God. And that's one reason you have lots of churches organized in different ways. There's a lot of okay ways to do it. But here is what we observe, first of all, uh, as we're thinking about this. Number one, 
uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the church is growing. So we don't just call on people to be leadership just to have an organized structure and just go, hey, he's a leader and she's a leader and let's give him the best seats. Not at all. Not at all. Um, the, the church is growing. Our church is growing. Our influence is growing in the community. Second thing, the practical demands on the mission leaders, guys like me, uh, had the potential to keep them from doing what only they, what they can do the best or what, what they're the most called to do or gifted to do, and that is to preach the word and pray for overall direction of the ministry. So responsibilities for specific areas of the congregation could keep the missional leaders from carrying out their responsibilities for the entire congregation. So, so this is true in the Church of Acts, uh, in this Hebrews, or Acts chapter 6 passage, and I think it's true of our church. Now, another thing that's important, and this is one reason we didn't do this right from the beginning. Some guys start churches, and they immediately identify deacons. That, to me, that's very foolish, because what's important is that the church has to be old enough and mature enough to discern who has a good reputation and who is full of spirit and wisdom. Talk is cheap. It's one of my favorite, like, it's not a Bible, I was going to say favorite Bible verses. It's not a Bible verse, but sure, maybe it is. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, right? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm with you. And we've had people come and go, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. When they realize it's hard and it requires a show up every week, I have people come to me and go, you know what? I want to be a leader in your church. And I say, you know what? Come 7.30 every Sunday morning with a group of about eight or 10 men that's set up every week. Or stay after for about an hour when everybody else is at lunch and these guys are continuing to set up. You want to be a leader in this church? You got to learn how to serve because talk is cheap. It's easy to say, yes, you want to be a leader in this church? Then when you get a call to helping the kids, you go down and do it. And you quit complaining about it and saying, oh, I'm not good with kids or I don't like kids. I mean, that, to me, give me a break. It's an hour. I got four kids. I live with them seven days a week. I know it's tough. I love them most of the time. But, but I love them all the time. I love being with them most of the time is a better way of saying it. Um, so what I'm saying to you is that our church has to be old enough. We have to see who's emerging as the kind of people we want to lead in this way. Another thing, the congregation... The way this works is that the congregation recommends um, who will be appointed, and then the missional leaders, uh, people that will eventually call elders, will affirm the designation. Now, this is getting a little bit into to stuff maybe that we can talk about another time, but at this point, our church has one ordained appointed elder, and that's me. Now, there are other men who are providing counsel in an informal kind of a way to the elder, and eventually, once our deacon body begins to grow and develop from within the deacon body, males, we will identify other men who will be responsible with me for the entire church. So this is how it works. Deacons are responsible for a specific area of the church. That can be men and women. Elders are responsible for the entire church. That's men only. So here, uh, oh, and maybe most important about what's going on in Acts chapter 6 is that the congregation is excited about identifying the servant leaders. They're excited. They know there's a need. Like, hey, there's need, things that need to be done. Somebody tells me this morning, like, hey, I didn't know about this going on. I didn't know about that going on. I go, you know what? It's because we've got to get a little more organized leadership-wise so that, so that because the needs for serving individuals within the congregation are so great, other people are going to have to step up and lead in these areas, Okay. So just so you know, Acts chapter 6, of the seven men identified as deacons, only two are talked about later in Scripture. Isn't that interesting? Um, which, which I think means that these seven people who are identified as deacons, recognized as deacons, uh, they met their ministry, met the ministry demands. There's no more complaining that I'm aware of on, in this particular topic. Now, these two that are talked about, Philip and Stephen, are... Um, recognized later in Scripture as being people who with courage, passion, and passion proclaim the gospel. So something you should know is that not only did the deacons handle ministry tasks, 
but they recognize their call as followers of Jesus Christ to carry the mission forward. So this is very important. So people that we identify as servant leaders, it's not just people who are willing to do the grunt work. It's really people who are so caught up in the mission of Jesus Christ, they're willing to do whatever it takes, and they're passionate about moving the mission forward. So more churches were started in the book of Acts after this church began to grow. Paul, who was a missional leader uh, for the churches that began to grow, had uh, somebody, a protege of sorts. His name is Timothy. And, uh, and as the church began to grow, Timothy is, is living in Ephesus, Ephesus trying to pastor this, this other fledgling church. And, and so Paul begins to coach Timothy a bit on, on how he can identify from among the congregation the deacons. And he also does elders, but we'll deal with that at a later time. So deacons. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, if you, if, if you want to turn there, great. If not, just listen. Paul gives Timothy specific instructions or, or um, gives him a list of the kind of things that should characterize these, these kind of people, Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 3, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 10, or 3, verse 10 right now. Let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we must proceed carefully as we're identifying the deacons and deaconesses in our midst. Now, I'm persuaded to believe that if you have male elder body, then you can have both male and female deacons, and so that's what we're going to do. Okay, and this has been discussed among some of our, uh, some of the counselors that are leaders in our church, and, and this is what we're going to do. So we're going to have male and female deacons, servant leaders. An example of a female deacon in the New Testament is in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, uh, a gal named Phoebe. And so you can read more about that later if you like. Now, um, for each person, what, mu- what must be considered are these questions. Okay, because you're getting ready. I'm going to ask you to list people that you think from within our congregation, stand out as servant leaders. Okay? So here's some questions I want you to think about. Number one, do they have a good reputation to represent Jesus Christ as a part of our church? Here's the thing about leadership. Leaders multiply themselves. So we want people who, whose lives and reputations uh, we want to be multiplied in our congregation. Did they represent Jesus Christ well? Not only at church, but outside of church. Second thing, did they exhibit faith, wisdom, and spiritual vibrancy? Faith, wisdom, and spiritual vibrancy. Are they passionate? Are they sincerely wanting to honor God? Third thing, are they mature in their faith? the mature in their faith. So a person that's a brand new believer uh, would not qualify as a deacon yet. Are they mature in their faith? Uh, are they able to control themselves in intense situations? Are they not addicted to anything? Are they not overly focused on money? Fourth, does the person understand the gospel to the degree that he or she is able to tell it in a clear and compelling way? 
I mean, as a church, what we've said is the church is going to be planted or grow through individuals that are a part of the church taking Christ to people that have not yet received it. We don't do like a lot of like flashbang, big event kind of stuff to go, hey, here's, here's who we are as a church. What we said is we just want to do a great job of discipling you and teaching you how to live out your faith missionally among people that do not uh, embrace your faith yet. I've never heard the gospel in a clear and compelling kind of a way. So any leaders in our church are going to be people that can articulate the gospel. Number five, has the person been observed long enough to prove they are not faking it? It's easy to fake it. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've probably been in a season of my life where I've faked it. Has the person been observed long enough to prove they are not faking it? Is the person able to control his or her tongue? Is the person's home life stable, worthy of emulating by younger disciples? So in our church, if you're new, one thing that we value is the older investing in the younger so we organize in that way. Our groups, for the most part, are pretty, pretty diverse in age. We have young people, and we don't call them old. We call them more seasoned uh, people. Um, so we will say that the leaders in our congregation are going to be people whose lives are worth emulating by the younger people. I think this is in the New Testament, and I think that's, well, that's why we're doing it. Is any part of this person's personal life really out of bounds, to the best of your knowledge? So these are seven good questions based on what Paul tells Timothy. It is really critically important that we move on this. this. It's time for us to identify who are going to be our servant leaders. And here's, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to, to write the names of one or two or three or four people that you think would, be, uh, would qualify as servant leaders. Think about the people you see leading different parts. Everything from setting up, to host team, to kids area, to stage stuff, just, just write their name. Okay, someone that you'd say, you know, and you don't have to know everything about them, and what we'll do is we'll take these names. This is not a vote. Not everybody that gets their name listed is, gonna, is probably going to get it, um, going to be called on in this kind of a way. Um, but this is, this is you saying, hey, this is, these are people from our midst that we've identified as servant leaders. We would like to, to ask the missional leaders to, to consider affirming these people as servant leaders uh, officially in our church, okay? So, and, and, and here's, here's, before we identify those people, here, here's the thing. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. And in this year, um, we're going to continue strengthening what we do on Sunday morning in the area of NT worship. We're going to continue strengthening our groups. We have about 80% of our mission partners, which is like our members, are in groups. We're going to continue to strengthen our kids' area. Um, in fact, we're, we're going to make a move, and um, we're, we're going to ask Kristen Kreitz to to lead in the kids' area, and Cindy and Brittany have done a wonderful job in that space, but they're, they're ready to move into a new area, and so Kristen Kreitz is going to be the new lead in there. Um, and so we're making, we're going to continue strengthening our NT kids. You know, right now downstairs, there's probably 25, 30 kids. I mean, this is real important, you know, probably 10 or 15 workers down there. We're going to continue strengthening what we do to restore local. We're going to do projects locally to, to, to demonstrate the gospel indeed. We're, we're going to continue to strengthen what we do globally. Do you know that, um, 
Uh, we have a partnership in the Horn of Africa where we uh, send resources and people uh, every single month. Uh, we send resources to them to help them take the gospel to people that never even heard the name of Jesus. Do you can believe that? In fact, these people that are our, what I consider mission partners living in the Horn of Africa, Northeast Africa, uh, are going to be here next month. And we're going to have them uh, with us and they're going to get to talk a little bit about what, what we as a church are doing in the Horn of Africa. We also... Um, regarding Restore Global, I have a partnership in, in Ecuador where, where many families from within our congregation sponsor children. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 45 children that we sponsor living in Ecuador through Compassion International. Uh, so there's all kinds of things going on, Restore Global. We're going to strengthen all of those areas. But this year, the thing that we're going to really move on is what we're calling NT Path, which is very simply this. It's it's a vision that every single person that's a part of our church would know what to do next in their faith. What's what's the next step in their particular path, or their, their their journey of faith? What is it? And so that will require some organization and structure. And so you'd come to me and go, "What do I do next to grow?" And I go, "Here's what you do." And there's a system of leaders and a plan and all that kind of stuff. So this year, this is what we're going to implement as a church because we believe the absolute best way to grow strong in this city is to be strong in our church. And the way to be strong in faith as a, as a church is for our individuals to be, our families to be strong. And for our families to be strong, we must have individuals that are strong. And the best way to disciple people, to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ is in a one-on-one, very small, kind, specific, customized kind of a way. So that's what we're doing this year. So by the end of this year, every one of you will have an opportunity to know what's to do next in your faith. All right? So we're going to strengthen all these things. And to do all of it, we're going to need leadership. We're going to need servant leaders. So I want for you to think about who qualifies as a servant leader. All right? So where's JJ? JJ, um, come on up here. And um, I want for you just to bow your head for a minute. I'm going to ask you to pray and then write some names down. And um, I think it'd be okay if you nominated yourself, by the way. Um, Nominate yourself. That's okay. Who are the servant leaders in our midst? I'm going to pray and then... um, before you come take the Lord's Supper in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to, to write some name, names down. And whenever you come up to take the Lord's Supper, just, just put your card on the table. And this is kind of connecting this, this act of when Jesus died on the cross, body broken, blood shed. Uh, it made possible this, this movement that we're a part of movement where where God invites people like you and me to faith and to peace. And so every week as a church, we we recognize that. We recognize, remember the cross. We we take the Lord's Supper, the broken bread representing his body, the the wine representing his blood. And we we take it, we consume it, we remember the cross. This is an act of worship. And so what we're going to do today is you're taking the Lord's Supper and you're bringing that card up with whoever's name on it that you can think of. We're putting it on the table. We're connecting like, okay, the cross invites us to mission and to get the next year of mission. We need leaders from amidst our congregation. So 
that's gonna, how we're going to do it. All right? So I'm going to pray. Take your time on your card. And then uh, as we're praying, JJ is going to play and lead. And then whenever you're ready, after I get done praying, I want you to take the Lord's Supper. If you're...